I'm here to teach lessons. It's that simple because I believe life is about lessons. The lessons are going to keep on coming until you learn them. They result in pain, mistakes, failures, setbacks, and struggles, which are just indicators that you have a lesson to learn. So the first thing that I'm going to teach you is that almost every conference I've ever spoken at, they give free notepads and pens. Everybody have a notepad and a pen? Use it. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because you will forget every lesson you've ever learned. I do. I teach gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration. I teach people to make more money, help more people, and have fun in their lives. I teach you to empower others to empower others to be happy. And you'll forget everything I say, I promise you. So many times people will line up afterwards to get signed books and tell me how I changed their life from the 40 or 50 minutes that they got to spend with me. And I'll say, really, what was your number one takeaway? Uh, and I'm no different than you. I have forgotten every single lesson I've ever been taught. So write down the lessons, and from today on, create a repository of your lessons and the stories that relate to the lessons in your life, not in somebody else's. Take those lessons and reposit them somewhere, your email, your text, a whole file of them, and tie a story to it in your mind that applies to you to each of these lessons. Now, I grew up in Akron, Ohio. Anybody here from Ohio? Oh, yeah. It is great. I was born in the same hospital as LeBron James, Steph Curry. Same hospital. I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> Maybe I could be the commissioner of the NBA. That's about it. Um, but I grew up poor in Akron, Ohio. I had a single mom, six kids. She worked two jobs, packed my dinner in a paper bag. I can barely talk about it without choking up. And the reason I choke up is because my life is so goddamn good, and I'm so grateful to my mom. I'm so grateful to my mom. Anybody here grow up poor? Yeah, I feel sorry for the rest of you, uh, just like I do my own children, because I can't teach my children what my mom taught me. I grew up so happy in Akron, Ohio, even though I had nothing. The only time I wasn't happy was when my mom was stressed about money. A car would break down. It was like a tragedy. We didn't have enough money for school or food or clothes. It was a tragedy. And so in my mind at five years old, when my dad left six kids with a single mom in a two-bedroom apartment in Akron, Ohio, I said to myself, man, I'm so happy, but money's going to make me completely happy. If I could just be rich, if I could just make, I'm old, $1 million, I will buy my mom a house, I'll buy her a car, and I'll retire. Things have changed. But from that day on, all I wanted to do was be rich. Now, my mom, like probably your parents, had different ideas for me than just being rich. Right? My mom believed that the fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school. She had a saying in my family, doctor, lawyer, or failure. That was it. And all my siblings adhered to what she was teaching. They all went to the Ivy Leagues, Harvard, Penn, Columbia, graduated summa cum laude. I had different dreams for myself, though. I knew I had to do well in school, but I wanted to be a football player. I wanted to be a professional football player. Now, I am going to tell you something about my family. I'm the tallest, best athlete, and I think the best looking one in my family. So the chances of me being a professional football player were slim, but that's what I wanted. 
And through my journey to be a professional football player, I learned what was gonna make me successful, even though I didn't have the quantum genetic inherited ability to be a professional football player, I learned one thing, that I would enjoy the consistent every day, I carried that football around me every single day, persistent without quit, pursuit of my potential. Right, not Emmett Smith's potential, not Barry Sanders' potential, but my own potential, the best that I could be. And people ask me all the time, Mr. Meltzer, what's the closest you've come to your potential? And I tell them all the time, I was an average Division III college football player. They say, with everything you've done? I said, yep, that to me, considering my talent, my quantum nature, that's the, the one thing in my life that I reached as close to my potential as I could. But that ability has helped me succeed in all other areas of my life. Now, I went to college on a scholarship. My freshman year, I'm sitting on the bullet on the kickoff team. I weighed 147 pounds, same height as I am today. And I'm thinking to myself as I lined up, I said, oh yeah, this is the start of my career. Just wait till they see me play. And I'm flying down the field, and of course I'm the first one there, and I break through and I hit the ball carrier, and next thing I know, I'm flying backwards. And I land on my back. Not only do I land on my back, but the running back stepped on my chest and ran over me. I remember lying there thinking, doctor, lawyer, or failure. Now I will tell you the guy that ran me over is a guy named Christian Okoye. The next year he was the AFC Player of the Year. He's nicknamed the Nigerian Nightmare. I think I gave him that nickname because I've had nightmares ever since. Uh, and he's a good friend of mine now. But I decided after that that I would be a doctor. So I immediately got and started to focus my intention and my attention on being a doctor. And I went to visit my oldest brother who was a physician and I met him in the hospital and I looked around and he said, hey, what's the matter? I said, man, I hate hospitals. He said, what are you talking about you hate hospitals? You're gonna be a doctor. I said, yeah, I'm not gonna be a hospital doctor. I'm gonna be a sports physician. I'll be on the sidelines in the locker rooms. I'm not gonna be in the hospitals. Now get your pens ready, because this is the greatest lesson I've ever learned. He looked at me and he said, David, be more interested than interesting. You see, I meet so many people your age that dream about things and they don't know their what, their who, their how, their now, and therefore they don't know how to apply their why, which they already know. They're searching there with an excuse saying, I'm trying to find my why. You need to know your what, and in order to know your what, you need to be more interested than interesting. I was 18 years old, pre-med at a great school. God knew I wasn't gonna be a professional football player, thinking I would be a doctor without ever finding out what really it took and what it was like to be a doctor. I see people do that all the time in sports agentry. They think they wanna be sports agents and have no idea what it's like. So remind yourself every day, write it down, I have to be more interested than interesting. Ask more questions, learn more lessons, and you will be far more empowered to be successful, to make money, help people, and have fun. So I immediately moved to be what? A lawyer, of course. This time I was smart. I knew my what. My what was to be rich. I wanted to buy my mom a house. I wanted to buy my mom a car. So I did my research. I was more interested, and I found out what 
kind of lawyer makes the most money? And I found out that oil and gas lawyers, oil and gas litigators particularly, make the most money out of law school and later on. So I then researched what law school had the most oil and gas lawyers that were hired by oil companies, and I found Tulane University in New Orleans was the number one maritime law school. So I went there. Even though I got into the other schools, even though my mom said, are you kidding me? You're gonna go to Tulane? What? I reverse engineered what I wanted. And when I graduated, I got two job offers. One, six-figure job offer to work for an oil company as an oil and gas litigator. And then the second one was in sales. I was hired in 1992, before some of you or most of you were born, to work in the internet selling legal research online. They were hiring lawyers to sell legal research. So of course I went to my mom and I said, and the comp plan was 250, right? More than the law, law job, $250,000 at comp. So I went to my mom and I said, mom, what should I do? Without blinking, she said, David, you need to be a real lawyer. This internet thing's a fad. You're gonna lose everything. <laughs> Don't do it. Get your pens ready, lesson number two. Just because somebody loves you, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. My mom loves me too much. She thinks far too high of me. She tells me all the time how beautiful and good looking I am. I know she's lying. My mom thinks so high of me, but she doesn't know anything about business. My mom today still is my mentor with being a parent because I haven't met a better parent than my own mother and I have four children of my own and I call her for her counsel all the time because she's an expert at raising children. She was a second grade teacher who packed my dinner in a paper bag, had all her kids go to the Ivy Leagues. All are profitable, passionate, and purposeful in their lives and healthy, happy, love and appreciate her. I want that for my children, but she still doesn't know anything about business. So I took the sales job. Nine months out of law school, I was a millionaire. I was a millionaire nine months out of law school because I beat people with math. Now this is gonna to apply to all of you and what you do because people are gonna tell you about what you're doing. They're gonna tell you and they don't know. They're gonna say, oh, that, that's bullshit. You can't make any money, you can't do this. Internet's a fad, whatever it is. And I sat down and I said to myself, $250,000 will buy my mom a house and a car. How am I gonna get there? 24 years old, I don't know anyone, I just graduated law school, I've never really been a, a business person. All these other guys have worked for 30 years at the company, what can I beat them with? Time. I'll beat them with time. If that comp plan's $250,000 and it's based off of someone, and I call it activity I get paid for, other people call it work, right? I don't believe in work, I believe everyone has 24 hours of activity a day, activity you get paid for, activity you don't. I was gonna be 16 hours productive a day, seven days a week. Automatically reducing my comp plan. I was gonna be 16 hours instead of eight hours productive, and then I was going to create systems to be more efficient. You see, I was gonna beat people with math. I have a four minute rule. It's not with my wife, don't laugh. Um, I have a four minute rule that says, if I can find four minutes a day through efficient systems, it will save me 28 minutes a week, two hours a month, 24 hours a year of productivity, three full days of productivity. 
just by finding. So I started looking at everything I did every day, like brush my teeth, floss my teeth, use my Listerine. And I said, how can I cut off four minutes a day? Because I'm daydreaming when I brush my teeth. And I start over and I realized it was six minutes to brush my teeth, floss my teeth and do that. I could just by focusing on that, create three days of activity, three full days of activity. And so I created these efficiencies so I could be twice as efficient with my 16 hours, making now 32 hours of productivity a day. And then most importantly, I created a habit machine to be disciplined. To be disciplined, to be more statistically successful, to practice what I did. See, what made me better at a sport that I wasn't born to play was I practice harder, more consistently, with discipline and passion and enjoyment every single day, and I was gonna apply that to what I do. See, my wife has told me my whole life, you're so lucky, you've always loved what you do. Now, raise your hand if you love selling re legal research online. Yeah, me neither. I learned to love everything. I learned to love everything. The guys who will be speaking today to you, they may seem like they love to box or kick or whatever. No, they learn to love getting into the gym at 5 a.m., drinking eggs, doing sit-ups till they're puking. They learn to love that. You too can learn everything that you love to do. You can practice it every single day and become twice as statistically successful and be a world champion like the guys who are gonna follow me. A world champion, the best in the world, by practicing every day in a consistent, persistent, enjoyment of the pursuit of your potential. Not what other people want from you, not what's missing in your life, not what you don't have, because when you pay attention to and give attention to the coincidences that you want, you don't want what's missing, what you don't have or what other people want for you. You want what you want, that's why your what is so important. You need to know what, and then you need to know who can help you and who you can help, how we're gonna get it done, and then what to do now and I'm gonna teach you to prioritize those as well. And then you can apply your why and learn what you love to do. And that's what I did. 64 hours of productivity a day, eight full days of productivity every day, seven days a week, 56 days of productivity a week. So in nine months, when I made a million dollars on a $250,000 comp plan, and everyone's holding up, you know, yay Dave, accolades, and I'm like, just give me the money, I'm buying my mama a house. They're like, how'd you do it? Unbelievable, four times the comp plan. You, and I was laughing in my head. I said, I didn't even hit my number. And I'm like, what do you mean you didn't hit your number? Well, I worked 10 years in nine months, right? If I had 10 years of productivity in nine months, so I really hit about a $100,000 comp plan. I just was productive for that time and I expedited the lessons that I learned. There was a lot of pain, struggles, mistakes, failures but I had so much time of productivity to learn from that and told myself that this pain, this struggle, this mistake is not a stop sign. I'm not gonna quit. I'm gonna win. The same way that I won in sports and I had no talent for that because I'm gonna keep on playing. I'm gonna keep on playing and keep on learning because pain is not a stop sign to me. It's a turn signal. It's a turn signal taking me to a better place, a better position or making my life better. And I will tell you, when I made that million dollars, it made my life better. It reaffirmed my dreams at five that money would buy me happiness. I even thought in my head, man, I'm my mom's favorite child. I bought her that house in the car. All she could talk about was me. Not Harvard, Columbia, or Penn. 
right? Unfortunately, I went to a school called Occidental, so in my family there was tons of jokes like, was that Occidental or are you in dental school? Who's laughing now? I was mom's favorite because money bought love and happiness. And three years after I made my first million, we sold that company to Thomson Reuters for $3.4 billion in 1995. Broke kid from Akron, Ohio. Now had everything I ever wanted. I get choked up because I know what it took. It wasn't given to me. It wasn't given to my mom. Day after day, I know some of you know what that feels like. I'm 53 years old and I'm so grateful. And at 1995, billions of dollars, and I kept on going. I said, wait, hold on a second, I'm not done. I went to the Silicon Valley, I raised hundreds of millions of dollars. I worked in the wireless proxy space. By the time I was 30, I had everything I ever dreamed of. Everything I ever dreamed of. I even married my dream girl. In the fourth grade, I moved from Akron, Ohio to San Diego. And I looked out the window, and there's this beautiful girl who wasn't taller than me, so that already qualified her as very beautiful. <laughs> and she skateboarded by my house, and I felt something. I'm like, oh my God. And by sixth grade camp, I asked, I was really brave, I asked my best friend Rob, to ask her to go steady with me at sixth grade camp. And in front of everybody, she said, no, tell him to ask me himself. I'm not going steady with him. And so of course he screamed out in front of everyone, dude, she said no. And everybody laughed at me. So I decided the best way to handle that was to throw an egg at her when I got home. <laughs> so I threw an egg at her and then rocks at her, asked her why her friends were prettier than her. To this day, she doesn't believe that she's my first love. She knows she's my last, but she doesn't believe me because I was so mean to her. But by 30, I was married to her. And in my mind at 30, all of these things related back to one thing, money. Money buys you love and happiness. Money does it all for me. And while I'm sitting there in my brand new home, thinking about building my family, Ferrari and a Porsche, planes, boats, I had 33 homes in San Diego by this time. I had a golf course, a ski mountain. I had more money than I knew what to do with. I never had to work again. My dad, who I literally hadn't heard from in years, who on my 30th birthday sends me a huge box. Now, why was that so significant? Because when my dad left, he was my hero. My dad was my hero and he left and he married a girl closer to my age than him. He made a lot of money. And I was too young to realize he was a deadbeat dad. It was the 70s. Right? My, my dad didn't do anything. In fact, I still have so much guilt because I was sitting in the back of that Country Squire station wagon eating my peanut butter and jelly sandwich for dinner, asking my mom, why can't you be more like dad? Meanwhile, the deadbeat was making all this money, not even supporting his six kids. He's, he remained my hero because my mom wouldn't say a bad word about anyone. If you came down with a negative attitude, my mom would send you back up to your room until you shifted your perspective to gratitude. At 10 years old though, my dad made a horrible mistake. He missed my birthday. Now that wasn't as bad as what he did when I you know, uh, came up to him and said, dad, how could you forget my birthday? And he said, I didn't forget your birthday. I don't believe in birthdays. Oh, I was 10 years old, I was fairly bright. 
I was like, you're celebrating your birthday, your wife's birthday, my sibling's birthday. What do you mean you don't believe it? And I realized at 10, my dad was a liar. My dad was a cheater. My dad was an overseller, back-end seller, manipulator. And I hated him. I didn't want to talk to him for the rest of my life. And at 30 years old, he gives me a birthday present. And I'm opening it and I'm crying. My wife's like, what, what, why are you crying? I'm like, I can't believe it. I, I'm going to have a relationship with my dad. He, he's going to forgive you know, everything he's done. This is awesome. And I opened it up and it was a beautiful sport coat. And I'm in tears and I opened it up to see if it says, you know, specially made for David Meltzer. It fit perfectly, but it didn't. He had torn out all the lining and all the pockets. I went from complete hope to complete hate. I called my father. I said, Dad, why are you punishing me? He said, oh, happy birthday, son. I said, happy birthday. You gave me a jacket I can't wear. He said, I know. It's not for wearing. I was like, what do you mean it's not for wearing? He said, it's to remind you that money does not buy love. I don't want you to be the richest man in the cemetery. You are making all the same mistakes that I made. I don't want you to make those. You're just like me. Hang it in the closet to remind you that. I said, man, I hate you. You're a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, overseller, and back and I don't ever want to talk to you, and I hung up because I was 30 years old and I didn't know what I didn't know. And I stopped talking to my dad. Six years later, at that time, by the way, I was running Samsung's phone division, the world's first smartphone. They were called convergence devices. So uh, I had gone through the entire technology phase from start in the internet to the wireless proxy server where you transcode the internet to the very first smartphone. I had everything I ever dreamed of. Six years later, I end up being the CEO of the most notable sports agency in the world, Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. They made the movie Jerry Maguire about our firm. I represented almost as good as boxers that are here today, Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis. We even had Oscar for a little while, uh, biggest football practice in the world, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Warren Moon, just to name a few. Over two billion in management, when two billion was a lot to have in management, meaning Lee represents Mahomes right now, and I think it covered about all 50 of the top athletes we had back then. I had three daughters under the age of five. My wife and I lived in our dream home. And I built that home, I woke up and I looked up at the ceiling and I said, oh crap, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'd received the first red flag from my dad at 30, and I started buying things, thinking that would make me more happy, because money buys happiness. And it didn't make me happy, so then I'd buy more things to make me happy, and it didn't make me happy. I'd buy things I didn't need to make me happy, and it didn't make me happy. I'd buy things to impress people, and it didn't make me happy. I'd buy things to impress people I didn't even like, and it didn't make me happy. So I take my friend Rob, you guys remember the brave one that asked my wife to go steady for me? I took him golfing because I wanted him to go to the Masters with me. See, not only was I really rich, but I had access to everything. Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby, Breeders' Cup, ESPYs, Emmys, Oscars, Grammys. Anywhere I wanted to go, I could go. And so I said, Rob, 
go to the Masters with me, man. Huge golf fan. I said, we're going to fly private. We're going to go back to the cabins with Curtis Strange, Wayne Gretzky, Joe Montana, and Warren. We're going to go to the NetJet party. We're going to have an incredible time, and we're going to get to see the Masters itself, Tiger Woods, et cetera. He looked at me, and he said, not a chance. I said, what are you talking about, not a chance? Rob, it's the Masters. He said, I don't care. He said, I don't like what you're doing and who you're hanging out with. My stomach sank. I said, what are you talking about? I'm not doing what those guys are doing, Rob. He said, David, you can lie to yourself. You can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. I left there in tears. There's a book that's written. I suggest all of you read it. It's called Don't Take Yes for an Answer. See, what happens in your life is you start surrounding yourself with people that just tell you yes because it feels good. There's no pain, no struggle, no setbacks, no failures, no mistakes. People just tell you yes, 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 yes. And I'm sure Mike Tyson will tell you about a few of the people in his life that just kept telling him yes as hundreds of millions of dollars went by as it had for me. Don't take yes for an answer. Trust everybody, but vet the crap out of them. Trust everybody, but be more interested than interesting. Ask the hard questions. How many of us have been in a business situation where we know the person is lying to us, cheating to us, manipulating us, and we're too afraid to call them on it by asking the hard questions? And then we do business with them and we blame them for ripping us off. Come on, I've done it my whole career. I have several TV shows now, Elevator Pitch with Entrepreneur in season six, Two Minute Drill on Bloomberg, I have office hours, and I can see these people, right? They think they're fooling me, not anymore, because I trust them and like them all, I just vet them really hard. So when they tell me, oh, our revenue's up 300% this year, my first question is, what was your revenue last year? Instead of feeling uncomfortable, going, what if they say $3? I've just made them out to be a liar. That's okay, I didn't make them a liar. I've just raised my awareness to maybe they should change their way to pursue their potential or the truth for them and for me. Two weeks after that golf match, I was miserable. I asked my wife if I could go to the Grammy Awards with this rapper named Little John. Good friend of mine, he had worked with me at Grey Goose. We had the Grey Goose music tour. Little John was a skateboarder back then and I had grown up in the industry with John my wife told me, Dave, you can't go. You're not paying attention to your family. You're not paying attention to work. I'm worried about you. You are partying way too much. You're a mid-30s, middle-aged man. You should not be coming home high, wasted every night. So I lied to her. I said, oh, it's a, I won't go. Told her I had a business meeting. Changed clothes in the car. Ended up at the Grammy Awards, came home at 5.30 in the morning, completely wasted, and there she was, still not taller than me, five feet, waiting for me. I remember thinking, oh shit. I opened the door and she screamed at me, you, you are not a rock star. I looked at her and I said, I may not be, but I sure feel like one. <laughs> she said, you, I'm leaving you. Like, what? I'm leaving you, I'm not happy. You're not happy? Are you kidding me? Look around you, we got three beautiful kids. We have a nanny over there, we have a plane. We, we have every, you're not happy? How can you not be happy? Money buys happiness. How the hell are you not happy? Who do you think you're talking to? 
And I went to bed so mad and I woke up even madder thinking to myself, that's it. I'm done. I'm gonna call my friends, the lawyers from law school, and I'm gonna take her happiness. I'm gonna take every penny that she has. She's gonna be that ungrateful to me? Are you kidding me? I did all this from nothing. How dare her? And just as I got to my peak of anger and ego, I looked over in the closet. There it was. First time I'd seen it in years. It was that jacket. Just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, man, I don't hate my dad. I don't hate my wife. I hate myself. I was a liar. I was the cheater. I was the manipulator, the overseller, the back-end seller. And my wife was right. I better take stock in who I was and what I want to become, or else I was going to lose literally everything, including dying, probably. So from that day on, I applied the enjoyment of the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential in gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration. See, gratitude is the capability and muscle to find the light, the love, and the lessons to learn to love what you do. Gratitude is the most powerful thing on earth. If you say thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up, it'll take you 0.1 seconds and it will change your life. If you can say it for 30 straight days, anybody here think they can say thank you for 30 straight days? Everybody always raise their hand. I have studied physics, quantum physics, and metaphysics. I now sit on the Transformational Leadership Council. Anybody ever see the movie The Secret? I'm in the movie Beyond the Secret with Jack Canfield and John Asaroff and all of those people. I'm in that movie. Oprah Winfrey, Deepak Chopra, all of them agree. Sadhguru, the wisest man I've ever met. They all agree gratitude is the most powerful thing and it can change your life if it makes a habit of gratitude. And guess what? By tonight, half of you won't say thank you. By tomorrow morning, another half of you won't say thank you. Within three days, almost all of us won't say thank you. I've given you the simplest way to change your wife, life. People have called me, emailed me, stand in line to tell me the silliest thing I've ever heard, but thank you for changing my life because I've said thank you every day. I thank God every day and pray for 10 people that I can help. And I pray and pray for 10 people that can help me as well. From that day on, I have instituted gratitude for my perspective, forgiveness to give me peace, accountability to give me control. All you need to do is ask yourself, what did I do to attract this to myself and what am I supposed to learn from it? Life is about the lessons. The lessons will keep on coming until you learn them. There is no pain when you learn the lesson. It goes away. It goes away. Don't be afraid of pain, mistakes, failures, and setbacks. Those are good things. They're not punishment. They're propellers. They propel you to something better. One of the advantages about being old, you can see the results and be like, hmm, all the most difficult things in my life have been the best things in my life. Hmm. Why is that? Because there's three laws. One is the law of gravity. Most people don't use gratitude, forgiveness, and accountability to implement the law of gravity. What does the law of gravity say? The law of gravity says that although the earth is spinning, hurling, and rotating all at once at an incredible speed, that you're at the right place at the perfect time. 
You're at the right place at the perfect time now. You should be happy with everything you have now. Stop taking for granted what other people are praying for. Don't take it, don't say thank you. If there's a lesson of COVID, what is it? You're just blessed to have breath. How many of you have taken it granted for the fact that you can breathe? Stop taking for granted the things that you're blessed with. Utilize the law of gravity every day to say, God, thank you, I'm here at the right place at the perfect time. And then institute the law of Goya. The law of Goya, G-O-Y-A, what does that mean? Get off your ass. Nothing happens till it moves. Too many people today are sitting at home, high, broke, sick, on their mom's couch, dreaming of the Ferrari. It's not coming. Go make it happen. Get off your ass, do your best. Learn something and have fun. It's that simple. Ask yourself when you're done doing something, did I do my best? Did it, what did I learn? And did I have fun? Did I institute gratitude, forgiveness, uh, accountability and inspiration into what I do? The law of Goya. And then finally, my favorite, I used to call it the law of attraction. Then I called it the law of allowance. Now I just call it the law of faith. The law of faith. See, I didn't have any faith. I had discipline, I had motivation. I could get up, get back up, get started, get back started, right? I have so much motivation and understand pain so well that I have been begging Mike Tyson for my pay-per-view because I know that pain will go away and it's worth 100 million to fight him on pay-per-view. But institute the law of faith in your life. See, faith itself is the best GPS ever created. It's just like money. See, money is a currency, it's an energy. It's an objective energy that you put into the flow to get what you want. Faith is an objective energy you put into the flow to get what you want, except for it has a bigger marketplace, trillions of universes. It's far more sophisticated and understands far more than we could ever understand. It's a GPS that not only reroutes you when you get off at the wrong exit, when you get a flat tire, when you end up at the donut shop instead of the gym, but it'll actually change your destination. What a powerful GPS. Wouldn't it be nice if you sat in a restaurant and then you got off at the wrong exit, had a flat tire, and it told you, not only am I rerouting you to the better way, but here's a better restaurant. That's what faith does for us. So be happy where you're at, do everything you can, learn things and have fun, angling towards what you want, using pain as an indicator to move in a different direction and have faith you'll end up somewhere better. If you use five daily practices to do this, you need to know your what. What do you want? Not what other people want, what's missing, or the, what they don't want, but what you want. Ask yourself personally what I want today. Experientially, what do I want today? Giving-wise, what do I want to produce today? And most importantly, receiving-wise. How many of you like to give? Yep, how many of you guys like to receive? It's interesting, less of you raise your hand and some of you hesitate. My biggest problem is I never felt worthy. Right? I, I was always embarrassed to receive. I felt bad about receiving. Because what I didn't understand is I would give to receive. I would give to, as a negotiation or a trade. But see, the universe is abundant. I didn't have to live in the world of not enough where I was a victim and everything happened to me. I didn't have to live in the world of for me, giving to receive 
where I was buying things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. I could live in this world of abundance where there was more than enough of everything for everyone, where I could receive so I could give. See, you can't give what you don't receive. So it pisses me off when people are embarrassed to receive. You can't give what you don't have. When you're confident and you have faith that you're receiving to come through you, not to you or for you, but through you with appreciation, you add value to it and give it away. You now know what it's like to have it. You don't know what you have until you're giving it away and you got to receive it to give it. So stop feeling bad about receiving. Tell yourself every morning, I am happy, I am healthy, I am worthy, I am wealthy. What am I doing to interfere with it? You are already connected to the greatest source of power in the world. I have enough power in my pinky to light up all of Manhattan. What am I doing to interfere with that power? I am happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. What am I doing to interfere with it? And that's when you apply your why. Identify the triggers of the ego. Stop, drop, and roll. We need to understand value. Now, I'm going to give an example of receiving. Does anybody have $20 I want to receive? Right here? You have $20? Come on, hurry. Bring up that money, girl. Let's go. Give her a hand. Do you mind giving it to me? Can I keep it? You guess so? You like to give? Here, hold on. I have something for you. What is that? Is that fair trade? Awesome, thank you. That's how difficult people have receiving. When she got the $100, she's in her mind going through a whole bunch of different things. Her energy shifted. She felt much better giving me the 20 than taking my 100. She's still wondering if I'm asking for it back. When you receive, you're creating the flow. Don't feel guilty, resentful. See, not only do you know your what, who can help you and who can I help, how am I gonna get it done by studying, putting the mathematical equation of luck, what you pay attention to, what you give intention to, equals the coincidences in your life. Study the activity you have planned, the activity you don't have planned, and your sleep. All of those things, then you'll know what to do now. See, 100% of the things that you do now get done. The difference between successful people, winners and losers, is winners get things done. So know your what, your who, your how, and then you'll know what to do now. Prioritizing by what's most important to you, not what's urgent, because you've done the inventory of what's important to you, not to everyone else, not to what's missing or you don't want. That allows you to apply your why, to live in purpose and passion with profitability, applying your why, identifying the triggers of the ego, the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, separate, guilty, resentful. All those things do is create the interference between you, your health, your wealth, your worthiness, and your happiness. Learn to identify those triggers and don't fight them. Just stop. Breathe through your nose, out through your mouth. Find your higher self, your center, and then roll in the right direction, the trajectory that you want. Your what, what you want, who can help you. And I will tell you, I have spoken all around the world for so many years. You have the right who around you. 
You have the right people that are willing to help you to accelerate where you want to go. You see, mentorship's the best thing that you can receive. The easiest way to get to where you want to be is find someone that's already there and ask them for directions. And there's a lot of them in the back of the room that are willing to give you that direction. They paid the dummy tax. I lost over $100 million to pay my dummy tax. Mike Tyson will tell you he lost more. We both made it back because we asked for help. And we found the right people, the right mentors. You can be happy. Receive, know your what, your who, your how, your now, apply your why. If anyone wants my help, reach out to me. My email is david at dmeltzer.com. David at dmeltzer.com. I'm of service to you. Live with gratitude. Live with forgiveness. Live with accountability. And you will be inspired. Connected to and through the greatest source of power, light, and lessons. And you will then be able to teach others to empower others to be happy. And if you do that, it certainly will make me happy. Thank you so much.